Hello and welcome to a special live episode of What Works, the show that transcends the hype to bring you a candid look at what's really working to run and grow a small business today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. We have had one hell of a year here at What Works. We've talked to over 100 small business owners, published more than 80 episodes, and tackled 12 different themes this year. What Works is special because we focus on the people who are making their businesses work every single day. And we believe we all have a lot to learn from each other. And the more honest and transparent we are about how our marketing, operations, tools, product development, or sales processes work, the better chance we all have for success. Now, this episode is no different, except instead of me being the one asking the questions, you are. Whether you're here with me live or listening in later, my goal is to answer as many of your questions as candidly as I can over the next 45 minutes to an hour. We've got a bunch of great questions that have come in already on everything from growing your reach on social media to structuring in-person intensives to scaling up your capacity in a service business to how we named Yellow House Media. I'm going to dive into your questions in just a second, but first I wanted to ask you a real quick favor. If you enjoy the kind of in-depth, nitty-gritty conversations we have here on What Works, I'd love for you to share the podcast with a friend who is also a small business owner. And you can do that in a few ways. Personally, I love to text a friend a link to a specific episode of the podcast I want to share with them. It gives them a great place to start because starting a new podcast can be overwhelming. Or maybe you need to introduce your friend to podcasts in general. In that case, make sure you tell them about your favorite app to use and then suggest what works as a great place to start. And personally, my favorite app right now for listening to podcasts is called Overcast. And if you're feeling really bold, you could share what works with your audience on Instagram using the Spotify app. No matter how you choose to share what works, I really, really appreciate it. Now, Let's get to the questions. All right, let's take a look. The very first question is from Amy Walsh. Amy says, what are the best ways to grow organic reach on social media right now? She says, everyone uh, I am noticing, like everyone, I am noticing the big platforms, Instagram and Facebook, have made it harder to grow quickly and organically. I know it's largely the way the big platforms have evolved, and I'm experimenting with platforms that still have better reach, but I'm curious about your thoughts and experiments too. Yes, I have thoughts and uh, and experiments on this. Um, first off, I am still getting much better organic reach on Instagram than I am on Facebook. So with Instagram, uh, or sorry, with Facebook, I'm probably getting half a percent to one percent reach. Now I don't use Facebook hardly at all, <laughs> so some of that just absolutely minuscule reach could be just by virtue of the fact that I'm not producing content on a regular basis that people are engaging with. And by and large, that is the number one factor that goes into how any social media platform prioritizes um, showing people our content, is if people are engaging with it, if they're liking it, if they're clicking on it, if they're commenting, and especially if they're sharing it, um, any social media platform is going to make sure more people see that because what that tells them is that people like your content. They they like what you're producing, and they can assume that the next post that you're putting out is going to be something that people like as well. And that keeps people 
on their platform. And that's their number one goal because the more people that are on their platform, on their network, uh, longer, the more ads they see. Right. So that's that's sort of the secret behind any algorithm and sure, like the specifics of how that works or or what you can do to sort of influence that in your favor might change by platform. But that's the basis for how all of the social media algorithms work. Um, I, so what I said was I'm getting about half a percent to one percent reach on Facebook. On Instagram, I'm getting about 15 to 20 percent reach uh, for my top posts. If I post like a race photo that I'm just like excited about a new PR or something, that, that typically doesn't get a lot of reach. But if I'm posting, um, you know, one of my sort of micro essays where people are engaging with it, they're saving it, they're sharing it to their Instagram story, that typically receives about 15 to 20% reach of my total followers. Now, that's not actually getting me very far out of people who have already elected to follow me. Uh, the the best case scenario I have there is getting people to share uh, my posts either to their story or in their DMs. So let's talk about this idea of growing organic reach because part of it is actually going on behind the scenes. And I would venture to say that the the growth of your reach behind the scenes, even though you can't track it, even though there's not much you can do to even influence it from a tactical level, is the most important kind of sharing. So what I mean by that is when, let's take Instagram, when someone clicks the little paper airplane icon and they send a post to a friend in their DMs, that is the best kind of social sharing you can get. Um, it, you know, it's sure it's only being seen by one more person, but that one person is going to look at it. They are going to read every word you wrote. They might click through, they might follow you. They might click your link in your bio. There is going to be engagement there. It's a near hundred percent chance that when a, an individual person says to another individual person privately, this is good stuff, regardless of what the good stuff is, then someone is going to engage with that almost 100% of the time. I know I do. If you send me something, I'm going to look at it. I don't even need to know who you are. <laughs> I'm going to look at it as long as it doesn't look like a scam, right? Um, so that's that's huge. Um, and that kind of leads me to my next point, which is that I think that one of the best ways to grow organic reach on social media right now is by forgetting the algorithm, not because the algorithm is bad, because I actually think that most of the time the algorithm is a good thing. Ooh, that might be <laughs> that might be a, a controversial statement. And I can elaborate on that if you'd like me to. Um, but I think most of the time the algorithm is good. But that's that's uh, that's not why we need to forget it. I think that the best thing we can do is start thinking about our social networks as actual social networks, places where human-to-human um, -human interactions are more important than quote-unquote organic reach. So if you want to in increase the number of people who are seeing and sharing and engaging with your content, which will then inc increase your reach, you need to actually be increasing the amount you engage with 
people on the platform. That means DMing them. That means commenting. It means even just looking at their stories. It means liking things, although liking is like the lowest form of engagement, right? So anything that you can do to actually be building relationships with individuals, the more you can start looking at a platform like Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn as a place for building those relationships, the more you'll find you actually get out of the content that you post there as well. Now, that's a, that's a long game. It is not going to happen overnight, and it's going to take time to build those relationships, but it's really, really worth it. Um, that's one of the biggest things that I changed about the way I was engaging with social media this year, well, started probably last year, but it certainly um, really blossomed this year. And it's something I'm going to be continuing to do in 2020 as well. Um, and that's just legitimately, honestly, candidly, personally connecting with people. And it's really paid off in terms of growth, in terms of uh, relationship building, new relationships, rekindling old relationships. Um, and I definitely have seen it, like I said, pay off in terms of reach and engagement on my posts. Um, the other thing is that I'm, quote unquote, optimizing the way I engage with social media networks uh, to encourage that kind of human connection. Um, so, you know, on Instagram, I'm writing what I call micro essays. <laughs> you know, maybe they're, I don't know. Actually, I don't even know how many words they are, like 400 words long. They're real short. Um, stories, life lessons, business lessons, observations, putting it out there with a photo. And um writing it in a way that doesn't shut down conversation, that doesn't say that it's my way or the highway, that doesn't, um, that it doesn't feel inhuman, but instead invites connection, invites conversation, and then going in and actually talking with people who respond and, and adding, um, you know, to my story or to asking them about their story. And so that has also been a big piece of it. But to me, that goes hand in hand with what I was saying earlier. So I think if you want to increase uh, your organic reach on any platform, the key is in real human relationships and real human interactions. Um, not just because that helps you out with the algorithm, but also because it helps you out with human beings. And at the end of the day, the number one biggest reason that most people are successful online um, and, of course, offline is because of humans, not because of algorithms. Sure, there are people who have made it big on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook because of the algorithm, because for whatever weird reason, the content that they were making at the time fit the what the algorithm wanted. It fit what people were looking for at the time. They blew up and they've been able to ride it since. But that's a very small percentage of successful people. The vast majority of successful people are successful because human beings shared their content or human beings commented back. Human beings recommended their friends, followed those people, right? So the more we can build those relationships, the more likely we are to inspire that kind of sharing behavior. And that's what's going to increase our reach. Um. Yeah. The, and I will add to this, too, that the other thing that I'm playing with right now is Twitter. <laughs> um, after 
taking about mm, two, almost three years probably off of Twitter. Um, it's one of the places I'm spending the most time right now. And I'm really loving how human so many people are that are engaging there, the people the people that are left there maybe. Um, and I'm finding that I am personally curating lists of people who are sharing as people as opposed to sharing as brands or who are sharing their content. I couldn't give a crap if you're sharing your content. Um, I'm not going to engage with your content, most likely. I might look at it and see if it fits in our newsletter, but if I'm going to engage with you, if I'm going to comment back, if I'm going to retweet something, most of the time, it's a it's a human thing that you've said, not a piece of your quote unquote content strategy. Okay, so hopefully that's helpful, Amy. Uh, next question came in via email. Uh, and it says, I've just started offering two to three hour in-person strategy sessions at the beginning of each quarter to support the ongoing coaching programs I offer. I remember you mentioning in-person intensives that you did with a couple of clients. Did you have any kind of structure you'd use to organize your thoughts going in, establish expectations, and ensure the client walked away with something tangible? So I did um, because we based I based those intensives on existing intellectual property that I had. So an existing program. So a um, little bit of background. If you don't know, I used to have a program called Quiet Power Strategy. It was a group business coaching program. It was sort of, um, it was almost done with you uh, in that there was coaching and feedback provided, but you were the one kind of going in doing the work, wrestling with the questions, building out your business model, things like that. It wasn't something that we were doing for you, but there was a lot of feedback and coaching involved with it. Um, and so what I was able to do was take that program and develop or deliver it personally over the course of a couple of days with uh, people who just wanted to like wanted to have that kind of thought partner coach in the room with them while they were doing that work. Um, so I took that program and applied it into that kind of intensive format. And because there were deliverables and tangible things that you're walking away with as part of that program, it was kind of built into the way we could deliver it. I could deliver a spreadsheet that um, you know really outlined your business model and pricing structure and uh, the value proposition for each of your offers. I could deliver a sheet that... Um, really outlined how you were representing your brand with your content strategy and things like that. And so that was kind of built into it. Um, but what this question actually reminds me a little bit more of is a service that we have been offering, um, although we are retiring it, <laughs> um, at Yellow House Media. So also, if you don't know, Yellow House Media is the podcast production agency and consultancy that I co-founded with my husband, Sean, um, earlier this year. And so we have been working on delivering um, consulting services and production services to podcasts to podcasters. Um, and when we started, we thought that probably our best moneymaker um, and potentially our like most enjoyable thing that we could do as well would be to offer these three-hour content strategy sessions. Um, and so they weren't in person, but they were intensives. And so Sean would get 
on Zoom with a client for three hours. And over the course of the three hours, he would plot out a six-month content strategy a content strategy with this podcaster. So month by month by month, we would go, he would go over different themes they could cover, different campaigns they could run, and literally plot out episode by episode what they were going to cover over the course of six months. So a very, very clear deliverable on that one. Um, we were also delivering copy for calls to action or, you know, the self-sponsored ads that would go into these shows. Um and just some just general recommendations on how they could better represent their business with their show and how they could um, develop a stronger relationship with their listeners. Um, with those, what we did is essentially productize, and, and which is going to be how eventually we continue to deliver the service. But um, what we did is productize the delivery so that there was essentially a script that got um, us through the first hour, hour and a half, where um, Sean would set expectations up front, just like you said, say, this is this is what we're here to accomplish. These are our goals. Here's how the day or the afternoon is going to go. First, we're going to uh, talk about your business. Um, and I'm just going to be looking for um, important things themes to you. I'm going to be looking for ways that you stand out, ways that you offer what you do differently um, from the rest of the market. I'm going to be looking for all those things. Then in the second part, we're really going to dig into um, actual uh, content planning and the different episodes that you're going to be uh, recording. And then in the third part, we're going to go over all of that, edit it, tweak it, make any changes that we need to make. Um, And then I'm going to set you up with some homework. So we'd outline that all out. Then he would deliver those pieces. We also had it set up so that he was taking breaks um, at two different places through that three-hour intensive because it was intense. (laughs) Um, And so it was intense for him and it was intense for the client. But the other thing that allowed him to do was actually get in and do some of the work without the client looking over his shoulder, which would be intimidating for anyone, right? So um, he would kind of interview the client first off, then they'd take a break. He would input that information into a mind map and start breaking things out. Then when the client came back, you know, 20 minutes later, they could see all of this work that had been done over that first uh, hour period or so. Then they could come in, they could work from this same mind map document, they could take another break. um, And, you know, and then it would move forward from there. So little bit by little bit throughout that three-hour session, you were getting closer and closer to having that final deliverable. And then, um, you know, within the next 48 hours or so, depending on the client, he would deliver an actual content plan. I would deliver copy. um, And then we'd have happy clients. (laughs) So that's how we structured those. And like you said, I mean, I think that deliverables and having something tangible to walk away with is important, even if that's just here's what we talked about. Um, And so, you know, taking notes or coming up with recommendations, I think is a big piece of that puzzle. So hopefully that's helpful. You're welcome, Justine. (laughs) All right, great. Uh, Next question 
is what's working for you right now to deal with capacity challenges in a one-on-one service-based business. I've been bumping up against this challenge myself as I have my clients. And while it's a good problem to have, it's also hard not to have immediate spots to serve people. Yeah, so this is exactly where we're at right now with Yellow House Media. Um, I just sent out a proposal this morning um, for a new show, and I told them on our consultation, we don't have any openings to get your show out there before April 15th. Um, It takes us about two months to launch a new show um, if we're really cranking. I shouldn't say if we're really cranking, but if we're if the client is on the ball, they're moving, we're moving. Two months is a good amount of time for launching a new show. Our product or our launch package is three months long. So, yeah, we don't we can't start anyone until mid-February, which makes our launch date mid-April. So um, here's what we're doing. Um, so first off with Yellow House, um, one thing that we've been doing is just making the most of the resources that we have, and that includes human resources. So we've been able with Yellow House um, to do what's called employee leasing from What Works. So What Works has um, myself and Shannon as full-time employees, and then we have um, two part-time employees uh, plus, Sean has been a contractor, although now the obviously the contract is with Yellow House Media. Um, and so we're able to kind of through what works by con- essentially by contracting with what works, we're able to get additional labor from um, some of our part-timers and or t- our, par- our two part-timers. <laughs> um, and that has allowed us to spool up our capacity to the point that we're at right now, um, which is still full. <laughs> and so um, we are looking at ways to further spool up that capacity um, essentially immediately. So one, uh, we're going to be looking for a new hire for next year. And that new hire is going to be specific uh, to the podcast uh, to the podcasting side of things. So Yellow House Media, it will be a Yellow House Media employee. Um, and one of our biggest, so we're looking at, we have, <laughs> let me back way up. We have an org chart for the growth of Yellow House um, as we currently see it. And that include basically it there's three roles for each each podcast that we produce has three roles within it: a production coordinator, a production assistant, and then the the audio engineer, essentially the editor and audio engineer. Um, and our current guesstimate, because this is still new to us, is that each a group of three people, each pod can manage up to about seven or eight shows, which is about where we're at or where we're we're getting to um, what we have signed. Um, so once we hit that, then we know we need additional help. Where we can't where we can't go yet, but I'll get to this, is hiring into hiring a new pod. Right. So we're not there revenue wise yet. And while we will likely be there pipeline wise, um, we're just 
we're still figuring things out enough that that doesn't make sense to me. So then I'm starting to look at where can where is there friction? Where are our bottlenecks? Where can we alleviate some of that stuff while potentially uh, bringing in help to start creating the next pod? So the production coordinator, production assistant, and audio engineer. So um, the role that we're going to be hiring for is someone who can quickly do show notes for us. It is one of the biggest bottlenecks in our business uh, in terms of um, in terms of getting a client's show out. With what works, I handle it. It's fine. We take care of it. Um, but with clients, it's really challenging. And I think if you're a podcaster, you probably are also challenged by your show notes. So it's no wonder it's one of the challenges for us. Um, so I'm actually partnering with my alma mater to look for someone who we can you know, pay a good wage, but maybe not pay a premium to so that we can pay them to listen to podcast episodes and write show notes. <laughs> I know that might sound like that's kind of a dream job. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a dream job for a college student, you know. Um, but so I, I'm any like I said, I'm partnering with uh, my alma mater. They have a digital communications department. Um, so it's already someone who's interested in or, or will be someone who is interested in, in technology and communications and ideally has very strong writing skills. So that's one way is just addressing what are the current bottlenecks and how can that how can hiring for that bottleneck increasing that capacity at that bottleneck or eliminating that bottleneck help us work toward creating future capacity um, as more and more clients come down the pipeline. So that's one piece. Uh, the other piece is that um, I want to make sure that we're not getting into. I want to make sure that our cash flow is super stable with Yellow House, um, where every month we're generating the profit that we need to generate while also uh, reinvesting in the business to grow it. Um, and hiring is just one of those huge investments that needs to be made. And 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 when we're talking about capacity and like like in in this form, that's one of the only ways to solve that capacity problem. Um, so. Uh, one thing that we're looking to do is probably sooner than I expected to, uh, because our demand has been so high, uh, but creating a more leveraged offer. So if I can work with other podcasters um, to coach them on content strategy, coach them on writing techniques, interviewing techniques, um, just kind of executive producer functions in general, how to be a better executive producer for your own show, um, then we can generate leveraged uh, revenue that doesn't uh, that doesn't currently that doesn't eat into our current capacity, um, but does create cash flow for us to be able to build further capacity and train the people that we're hiring. Because that's the other piece that we're running into is that the training piece is just massive. It's massive with with this, um, you know, because there aren't, there aren't people graduating with podcasting degrees yet. Um, and, you know, lots of people who know podcasting are either they have their own podcasting businesses already or, um, you know, they're time is full with running their podcast and doing their business or, or doing their job. So um, this has been a very long rambling response to this question. But um, 
I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say about this. I mean, the other thing that I would love to call attention to is actually one of our Yellow House Media clients, Susan Bowles. Uh, she has a podcast called Break the Ceiling, where she is specifically dealing with service-based businesses on how to create operational capacity in those businesses. Um, and she looks at that from a bunch of of other angles. So instead of um, recommending hiring, the which is what I just talked about, um, and it is we're we're very committed um, to growing the business through uh, by growing our our capacity through hiring. Um, but she's looking at things like payment structure, um, eliminating meetings, uh, automation, systems development. So if you're if you are a service based business and you're thinking about, all right, I'm kind of at the ceiling of what I can handle right now, but I want to grow, I want to make more money, or I want more time to myself next year, I would highly, highly recommend checking out Susan's podcast. Again, it's called Break the Ceiling. um, And she's just got some phenomenal content coming down the pipeline in terms of uh, freeing up your operational capacity. And if you're here with us live, Christian just popped a link into the chat, um, but it's at scalespark.co slash podcast, or of course, wherever you're listening to What Works, you can also listen to Break the Ceiling there. Okay. Next question is from Teresa. She says, I hope you're going to talk about the trends you see going forward in 2020. Um, Yes, I can talk about trends I see in 2020. Uh, I think there's two and a half big ones. Uh, that I'm seeing from 2020 for 2020, which is why you won't be seeing a trends post from me this year, because two and a half trends for 2020 is not a great title. (laughs) Um, The number one trend I am seeing right now, which, you know, it figures three years into this, um, I am seeing a lot of business owners launching communities not launching membership sites per se, not launching group coaching or online courses, but launching um, kind of continuity community uh, offers where they're bringing people together. Maybe they're talking about particular themes or or answering or you know talking about particular questions, um, but it's very much about bringing people together. Um, and so I think that's a big thing that we're going to see. Uh, Definitely starting to pick up steam in 2020. I think it'll probably be something that really hits um, more of a tipping point in a couple more years even after that. So be looking at 2021, 2022. Um, But I think you will really start to see it pick up steam this year. The other big trend, um, and I started predicting this a couple of years ago, and it has moved in that direction, um, but it's... again, I think it's maybe just now going to start hitting a tipping point, is that I'm seeing um, more and more business owners move into a more organic, a more ecosystem-driven way of marketing and selling their offers. So instead of feeling like you need to First, you got to get people on your list. Then you got to deliver this free event. Then you're going to launch to them and it's going to be this high pressure 10 day launch. And we're just going to squeeze these people through a funnel. Um, I'm seeing things that are a lot more 
free a lot. And I don't mean by price. I mean, like they feel free. They're flowing. They're organic. Uh, They're talking about them on their podcast or in videos. They're doing lives uh, on Instagram or on Facebook or on something like this, like Crowdcast. Um, They're posting on Instagram. They're sending emails. And it's just, it's a lot more ecosystem driven than it is funnel driven. Um, And You know, the truth is, when we really get down to what a marketing funnel is, the ecosystem is also a funnel. (laughs) But um, I think what we have come to believe about what a funnel is and the purpose it serves, especially in a digital products-based business or in a coaching business or in a consulting-based business, um, is different from where I think we're largely headed with marketing and sales. And I think, and you're really seeing this from the top down. So, you know, very much the way Marie Forleo uh, launched B-School last spring and will be spooling up to launch it again this, I guess, early spring, late winter, um, is very ecosystem driven. You know, she's doing lives. She's doing webinars. She's going on people's podcasts. It's very much about being, uh, you know, kind of being everywhere. Um, and I don't mean being everywhere from a hustle perspective. I mean, like, it, it's not about a particular set of steps that people have to go go through. It's really being open about what you're offering, how you can help people, and steering them in the direction of your offer, as opposed to steering them in the direction of a portal that they have to step through into your sales process. I think if you're doing that in 2020, you're going to continue to see diminishing returns from that. But if you are being really open and direct, and uh, that is the two and a half trend, openness and directness with our offers, um, the more open and direct you are, the more you're going to benefit from that, not the less. And I think, um, you know, you'll see more people sharing those offers as well and talking about those offers in a way that you have not with, um, what has what we've come to believe is the quote unquote correct uh, marketing and sales funnel. So those those are the main trends I'm seeing right now. Um, I hope so. There's a difference between trends I see happening and things I hope happen. One of the things I hope happens in 2020 is that we start to move away from. Uh, strategic social media. (laughs) Um, I hope that more people to kind of go back full circle to where we started. I hope that I start seeing more people be more human on the social media channels that they use. So whether that's being more human on Instagram, more human on Twitter, more human on Facebook, um, that it's less uh, cheesy quote graphics, (laughs) less... um, you know, this is here just because, you know, it's Tuesday and I have to post something on Tuesday and be, and instead because you really have something to say, something you want to share, um, something you want to help people with, whatever it might be. I just I'd love to see just people sharing more organically, which, again, to go back to Amy's question that we led things off with, one way to increase organic reach is to share more organically. Um, people you know, they may not know you scheduled that. They may not know you planned that out in a batch, you know, social media content planning session, but they know it's not real. 
they know it doesn't feel the way something feels that was written for them in that moment. Um, they, they, you know, that's not to say that batching your content is bad. It's not to say that scheduling your content for social is bad. I don't think that at all. Um, but I do think we have to ask ourselves, um, if we are not seeing, the reach we want on that, if we're not seeing the engagement we want on that, what's really going on there? And I think one of the reasons is because social media does actually reward organic, real human content. We like to think that it doesn't, right? We like to think that everyone's out there gaming the system. I think everyone's trying to game the system. And the people who are actually um, just kind of being a part of the conversation, whatever that might look like for their market, for their audience, they're actually the ones finding a lot of success. I will not say, you know, that's not necessarily true across the board. It doesn't represent the whole of what's going on, but I do think it's much more true than we like to believe. Um, Okay. This is an easy one. Jennifer asks, I love hearing how people name companies and products. How did you pick the name Yellow House Media? So we went through, Sean and I went through all sorts of names. Um, Originally, the company was just going to be his. It was not going to be ours. And so we started off with names that would make sense for something that he was running, um, you know, and a brand that he was building. Uh, And then one day in the car, I don't even know how this came to me. um, I was just thinking about things that are important to us, things that are uh, unique to us, things that are um, kind of symbols of our life, even if no one else knows or cares. And uh, Yellow House popped into my brain because uh, the house in Montana that um, his family lives in, so the house that his mom lives in, um, is referred to in the household and the family as the Yellow House. And it's uh, because his um, brother has Down syndrome and autism and is very low verbal. And so there's there's just, you know, we make things as simple as we can make them. So like the cat is named Cat, <laughs> which is very helpful for all of us because who wants to remember another cat's name? I can't remember all the cat's names. Um, but the the Yellow House is called the Yellow House. There's another house in Alaska called the Green House. Um, and that's that's all it is. It's just, it's the house in Montana. And that, and Montana is important to me. Sean is important to me. Sean's family is important to me. And so Yellow House Media, it was. <laughs> That's it. Uh, now, unfortunately, there are a lot of Yellow House Medias out there. Um, we are the only one in Pennsylvania, which is great. Um, and we're the only one who thought to get the .media domain. Uh, but yeah, there's nothing. There's no other Yellow House production agency. Um, there's some Yellow House. There's a Yellow House photographer. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't quite as original as I hoped it was going to be, but it, it's good enough for now. And if it changes in the future, that's fine too. Okay, Audrey asks, what are the three biggest lessons your business taught you in 2019? What marketing will you continue to do in 2020? And what marketing will you stop doing in 2020 and why? Ooh, we could spend a whole hour just on this question. Okay, cool. So Three biggest lessons my business taught me in 2019. Um, So I'm kind of going back to my thoughts around what my commitments were for this year. 
Um, one of them was that I personally was really committed to working the system. So whatever system that might be, whether it was a marketing system, a sales system, um, a podcast system, an editorial system, a content or a community system, I was really trying hard to follow the system and work the system and not break the system just because I wanted something new to play with, uh, which is a thing that I do. It's a thing that a lot of us entrepreneurs do. And so to me, uh, that's, or the big, I guess the lesson there is that working the system works <laughs> and that if I commit myself to that and I, and I am conscious and intentional about building out procedures or using the procedures that have been built out for me and working them and sure, making tweaks where they need to be made, where they need to be made and adapting things that need to be made or adapted. But if I can work that system, it works. Or at the very least, I have results that I can tie back to certain actions that then tell me what needs to be changed or what needs to be adapted or what can be evolved and iterated on so that it gets better and better and better. Um, and because of that, we had a very successful year in terms of sales. We are approaching 2020 with a much more systematic um, clear understanding of what we want out of the new year, what offers are going to be on the table. Um, and so that has been huge for us. Um, another lesson for us kind of similar, it comes out of the same place is that, um, you know, when we pivoted to a community business model, a community commerce model, um, three years ago, I really started dismantling everything that I assumed about the way my business had to run. So the way we were delivering value, the way we were uh, marketing the business, the way we were sell or sorry, marketing the product, the way we were selling the product, um, my relationship with our members, all of those things, little bit by little bit, dismantling each one of them so that we could fully pivot to where we wanted to be. And we did that. And parts of it worked and parts of it absolutely <laughs> did not work. And I started to learn um, that maybe there were some places where I didn't need to leave behind what had worked previously. Um, so I'll get more specific so you actually know what I'm talking about. Um, one of those things was that while I did need to change the way I talked about the business or the, the offer in our marketing, and I needed to change the way I related to the marketing that we were putting out into the world and the value proposition that we were offering so that that was all in alignment. I didn't necessarily need to change the system that we used uh, to drum up uh, new members, to, to invite new members into our community. Um, so what we had done originally was open our network on an ongoing evergreen basis. Anyone could join at any time. There was a free trial. It was really easy. And you would be shocked how difficult it is <laughs> to get people to try something for free. <laughs> um, and so that was really challenging. And it was it was heartbreaking in so very many ways. 
This year, we made the decision to go back to something that had always worked before, which was opening and closing enrollment. Now, we had done it in online courses and group programs in the past. We had not done it with the membership, but we decided to try it with the What Works Network, where we would spend about a week to two weeks before each of the virtual conferences that we offer. So four virtual conferences throughout the year. Um, We would do an enrollment around each of those virtual conferences and open the doors and close the doors. Super simple concept, right? Something, you know, you're probably like, duh, Tara, of course that was going to work. Um, But it did, it worked and it worked really, really beautifully. Um, And so that was a huge lesson you know, just because I want to do things differently doesn't mean I have to do everything differently. And just because I want to do things differently doesn't mean I can't still adopt some of the things that have worked in the past. Um, And so next year, we're looking at how can we enhance that even further? How can we iterate on that so that we're taking this concept that we have now proven works really well for us and make that even better and more efficient um, and more profitable as well. Um, trying to think of a third lesson. I mean, I think in I think this year one of the things I've been really conscious about that has proven to work pretty well, and I is trying to move more slowly. Uh, I don't know if my team would agree that I have tried to move more slowly this year, but I've tried to, I have, I have been trying to move more slowly, whether that worked or not. Um, trying to build more buy-in, trying to uh, be less impulsive. Um, and so that's been a lesson that, oh, Shannon says, yes, she's noticed. So that's good. <laughs> um, but that's been another thing uh, that, well, you know, I don't know if it's been a lesson, um, but it has been, it's been a learning process. And I think that that has paid off. Um, and so now as I look at my plans for 2020 and I'm, I'm literally, I've got a list of projects that I would prefer to get off the ground yesterday. Like seriously, <laughs> I'm looking at them and I'm like, I need to spell these things out. I need to talk through it with Shannon. I need to talk through it with Sean. I need to get the rest of our team on board and then we can figure this where it fits in the year. And I'm going to be okay with that, even if I would still rather get them off the ground yesterday. Um, what marketing will you continue to do in 2020? Uh, we will continue to put a huge emphasis on the podcast in 2020. Um, in fact, uh, one of the projects that I would per- have preferred to get off the ground yesterday is a a new limited series podcast. So we're looking at producing eight to nine episodes um, of a show, and that'll just be the only eight to nine episodes we produce. Um, So it'll be something that is essentially like an online course, but delivered completely free on the podcast channels where our listeners already are. Um, And ideally, that'll help us build up um, a larger podcast audience. And we're going to work with some other podcasters on it so that um, we can kind of pool our audiences together and hopefully all uh, get more, uh, get more 
uh, listeners from there. What marketing will you stop doing? Oh, um, let me add one other thing to what I will continue doing in 2020. Um, we rolled out a curated weekly newsletter in September. I thought it was going to be a lot of work, and it turns out it's been a lot of fun and not nearly as much work as I thought it was going to be. It's been a really good way to re-engage with all sorts of different kinds of content. Um, and so that's that's been something that we will continue doing as well. What marketing will I stop doing in 2020? I don't know that I that there's anything that I'm going to stop doing in 2020. There's nothing that we did this year that I don't feel like it worked. Um, we've already pared way down, way down in the marketing department. So our our main marketing tool, main sales tool is the What Works podcast that you are currently listening to, whether you're here with us live or listening to it in the feed. That is our the main thing that we do. The second thing that we do, um, which is something that I do personally, is sharing on Instagram. So both Instagram stories and in the feed. That's another um, big driver for us, although relatively much, much, much smaller than the podcast. Um, we'll probably spool up some advertising next year just to amplify what we're already doing and what we know works. Um, and then, like I said, then there's some side projects that we have planned for next year. So whether it's that limited series podcast, um, I'm also planning um, a personal side project called discover100podcast.com. You can't go there yet, so don't try. <laughs> maybe, maybe by the time you're listening to this, there'll be something there, but probably not. Um, so my goal is to listen to 100 different shows, podcast shows in 2020. Um, I'll be looking for your recommendations. So feel free to start sending them my way. Um, and just writing a little bit about what I'm learning, both from a podcasting perspective and just from a, this was a great show. You should listen to it perspective. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, I think next year is going to be the year of kind of side projects. And so working the system that we have that's worked well, that's become a well oiled machine, and then adding in some side projects to see if, you know, is this going to drive revenue? Is this going to drive audience growth? Um, and see what happens with that. So that should be exciting. Um, but nothing that we're going to be stop, stop doing um, in 2020. Oh, <laughs> Shannon says, what about the rebrand? Um, that was a big change. Yes, that was a good thing that we learned. So um, it, back in January of this year, it feels like it's always been this way, but it has not. Um, back in uh, January of this year, we changed the name of our membership. We won't even talk about what it was called before, but we changed it to reflect the name of this podcast because the podcast is something that's been working for us. Um, not ironic at all that what works is what works, that what works works. Um, and so that's why we changed uh, the name of the community to the What Works Network. Um, we now have the What Works Forum, um, which I'll tell you about in just a little bit here. Um, but yeah, so that's been another thing. We learned that was a really good decision to make. <laughs> People get it now. Um, like they have never gotten it before. And it, that part has, that's been really, really exciting. 
All right. Next question is from Rita. This might be the last one that I can get to today. Um, we'll see if I can lightning round anything else after this one. Rita says, as I'm starting a community and a podcast, how can I leverage their symbiotic relationship using themes and exploring conversations inside the community, which will be paid? I'm aiming to get momentum from the podcast, but also get content from the community to the podcast. And I was wondering, what's your perspective about best practices and considering that I'm also an INTP? Excellent. I'm I am an INTP. You're an INTP. INTPs forever. Okay. So we, the way we approach this is that we think of the the podcast and the community essentially as one thing, and so we run it through a centralized editorial calendar. So our editorial for the community and our editorial for the podcast all are generated from the same place. It comes from the same meetings. Um, we think about what our podcast listeners want, and we think about what our community members want, and put that all together, because ideally those are the same things. Um, we also think only think about the content that we're creating from the podcast perspective. So what I mean by that is, where we are creating content, that's the podcast. Um, our kind of generative functions go into the podcast. On the community side of things, we take a facilitator approach, right? A host po approach. Um, and our goal is to, in facilitating our community, find ways to have our members contribute their experiences, their stories, essentially the bones of the content for our community. Um, and the podcast, absolutely, like there's there's not a wall between those two things. The podcast helps us facilitate the community, but we're not creating additional content for our community. It's one of the things that people really get in trouble with when they start a community or a membership site is they start getting themselves into content debt really quickly. They promise content ad infinitum. They assume that they have to create content, new content every month for there to be value. Whereas we look at the value being the contributions of our members, the conversations that they're starting, the stories that they're sharing, the questions that they're asking. Um, and so our goal is to make the podcast the catalyst for those contributions so that, like I said, our our generative role is on the podcast and our facilitator role is our facilitation role is in the community. And looking at the same thing from those two different perspectives has really allowed us to streamline the work that goes into both things. Um, and it has really helped drive sales as well and drive drive interest in general. Um, so I, I hope that makes sense. What I would recommend as a resource, if it doesn't quite make sense, <laughs> is a uh, call that I did with Marie Poulin, who we've had on the What Works uh, show many times now. Um, but Marie hosts office hours for a tool called Notion. Uh, she hosts it right here on Crowdcast if you're listening live. Um, but you can go to crowdcast.io slash Notion HQ, crowdcast.io slash Notion HQ. Look at the past events on that uh, page. 
And there's an event with Shannon and I where we're specifically talking about our editorial content or our editorial calendar inside of Notion um, that we use to power both the podcast and the community. And I think if you see it, you'll start to see more of what I'm talking about and how the podcast is the content that we create that drives the community. But in the community, we take a facilitator role because the contributions are the most important part. Um, so I hope that's helpful. One other thing that I'll say is that when we are thinking about our quote unquote editorial for the community, we're not, again, we're not thinking about what more content we can create. We're thinking about what conversations we can start. And so that means we ask a lot of questions. We have events, things like this uh, event here, um, that allows us to get conversations started. Um, we ask a lot of questions. We do a lot of polls. We throw ideas out there. We remind people to listen to the podcast. Um, when we see interesting threads or questions being asked, we highlight them in our uh, internal weekly newsletter. Um, so our goal there isn't to just keep producing content. Like I said, it's really to inspire people to contribute their own experiences and stories. Okay. Um, I think... Oh, here, let me let me see if I can get through a couple of these lightning round styles. So Sandra says, are you suggesting not to buy Facebook slash Instagram ads? No, I, I plan on buying Facebook and Instagram ads next year. Um, I will say, though, that you if you're going to buy ads, you should know how you're getting a return on your investment. Don't buy ads just to buy ads because you think you're supposed to be buying ads. <laughs> Don't buy ads I wouldn't even buy ads just to get email addresses. If you don't know what you're going to do with those email addresses and a percentage of those email addresses you can expect to buy from you, don't place those ads yet. You have more work to do. Um, the only thing that I would say um, against that or like on the other side of that is if you are if you have more t money than time. And you want to use that money to save you time to experiment with what your offer should be, what your niche is, what your audience is. That's when uh, kind of preemptively spending money on Facebook and Instagram ads can be really, really helpful. But no, I'm planning on buying Facebook and Instagram ads next year. Um, I think it's it, you know, it's it's still a great way to reach people, even if it's continuing to get more expensive and more difficult. It's still one of the easiest ways to reach people. Um, for sure. Uh, oh, I can answer this pretty quick. Um, Denora wants to know who manages your finances and payrolls. So two different companies. Our um, bookkeeping is done by Evolved Finance, which uh, is a great company uh, that specializes in bookkeeping for online businesses. We have a uh, local accountant. Um, and then uh, our payroll is done through a company called Gusto. Um, you can go to gusto.com slash what works. Um, and I forget how much you can get free that way, but we get a little, we get a little kickback from that. If you join Gusto from gusto.com slash what works. Um, but, uh, it's a, I, I would recommend it even if we weren't getting a kickback. I love Gusto. Uh, we've got What Works set up on Gusto. We've got Yellow House Media set up on Gusto. They have changed my life. They make everything so freaking easy. It's really cute to use. Their support is second to none. Their help docs are second to none. If you're using paychecks or anything like that, get yourself on Gusto. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, 
Greatest business challenge this year. Greatest business challenge this year is also my greatest business blessing this year, which is figuring out how to work with my husband. <laughs> what he needs from me, what kind of expectations uh, need to be set, what uh, communication style works best. Um, so that's my answer to that question. <laughs> okay, I think the rest of these are going to take me a really long time to answer. So um, I'll save them maybe for the future and we'll see if we can get them worked into another mailbag episode in the future. But in the meantime, before we close out here, before before you go, um, I do want to tell you about uh, the What Works Forum. We have put together um, what I believe after... 11 years in business and over five years of, of working with groups of small business owners, uh, facilitating masterminds um, and, and kind of creating experiences for people to work together on building their businesses. With the What Works Forum, we, I really believe we have put together the best of all of the world. <laughs> so the What Works Forum is a small group mastermind experience that is running all of 2020. It's a 12-month long experience. It includes two 90-minute mastermind sessions per month. Uh, it includes a quarterly planning session every quarter every quarter. So you can plan out your goals and projects and tasks with the group each quarter. Um, so you've got that sort of guaranteed time to work on your business. Um, we're, we also have a private group inside of the What Works Network for members of the forum to talk uh, among themselves um, and, you know, just to, to share those things that you really want your group members to know, but maybe you don't want the whole world to know. Um, and we have um, a monthly review process. We're really big on helping you kind of tap into your personal accountability. And we're even planning two optional in-person mastermind days for this group as well, one in LA and one in Washington, D.C. Um, so the What Works Forum essentially is all about making sure that you have set time to work on your business and the opportunity to check in with yourself to regularly reevaluate re your progress. Um, it's also about making sure that you have a group of wholehearted uh folks who are there to support you. Um, they're there because they get it. Uh, they've been there. They've done that. And they want to, to learn with you and from you. Um, and of course, they want to share their experiences as well. Um, it's also there to help you, like I said, tap into and amplify your personal accountability so that you do the things that you say that you're going to do. Not because I tell you to do them, not because a group member tells you to do them, because you know it's the best thing for you. And the What Works Forum is all about really focusing on having clear priorities and um, taking the time on a weekly or monthly basis to make sure that you're spending time on the things that are most important to you, your top priorities. So when you join us, Again, you get 12 months of small group support combining regular mastermind sessions with quarterly planning, monthly reviews, a private conversation space, and even in-person meetups to help you make a massive shift in 2020. If that's exactly the kind of thing that you're looking for uh, for 2020, we would love to talk to you about the What Works Forum. You can go to explorewhatworks.com slash forum. Uh, we are filling up, um, and I do anticipate selling out in the next uh, week or so, uh, so so don't wait. If, if you've been thinking about it, if it's been on your mind, let us know that you're interested. Um, and I will take 
a personal look at your business, about uh, your goals, where you're at, uh, and let you know if we think uh, that you're a great fit for the What Works Forum. So again, it's explorewhatworks.com slash forum, and we hope to see you there. So on behalf of the whole What Works team and the team at Yellow House Media, I want to say a sincere thank you for listening to today's show and listening throughout this year because we couldn't do this without you, our listeners. And we're grateful that for every time you make the decision to hit play on a new episode of What Works. We'd love to connect with you further so you can check out over 250 candid conversations with small business owners and sign up for our free weekly newsletter with my handpicked resources for building a business that works better at explorewhatworks.com. Thank you all. Have a great rest of your day, a great holiday season, and I will see you in 2020.